0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Toles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible.
1: Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolls, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. And I want to welcome you to our Discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. And I have excellent news for any of y'all who are following along faithfully with these broadcasts. We are now on every major platform for podcasts. You can now listen to Todd Talks Bible on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Podchaser, Spotify, Stitcher, and Victory Radio. So I hope that whether you're traveling or on vacation or just want to listen in as you go back and forth to work, that you'll listen in and follow up with this material because we're trying to get these messages out to as many Christians as possible. But no matter where you listen to this material or watch on the video, do me a favor. Please make sure you go to my YouTube channel and hit subscribe and the like button on these videos. And pray for this ministry. By doing those three things, subscribing and hitting the thumbs up button and praying for this ministry, you can help us get these videos in the hands of more and more Christians. And that's the best way you can support this ministry. Thank you so much for your help in that matter. And now let's dive right in. As you know, we are studying the book of Revelation and we are into the section of Revelation chapter two talking about the seven Asian churches. And like we discussed last episode, the seven Asian churches have three areas we can apply them to our lives. Number one, we can study what was going on in the churches in John's day when he wrote this letter and see what they faced. Number two, These churches, the messages to these churches, give a panoramic view of what is church history throughout the last 2,000 years, and lets us see how the church was going from phase to phase to phase over the last two millennia. And finally, we can take the principles that we learn from these churches and apply them to our lives today. Now today we are studying the Church of Smyrna, the Church of Smyrna, and this is in Revelation Chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who died and is alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they really aren't because there is a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and put you to the test. You will be persecuted for ten days. Remain faithful even when facing death, and I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. Now this church of Smyrna is facing some very difficult days ahead. Persecution. And persecution has been a part of the church history, not just during John's day, but for 2,000 years. And yes, it's going on today. And who knows? I hope not, but we may even have to pony up one day and face persecution in America. So let's look and see what we can learn about the Church of Smyrna. If you remember last uh, session, I said the church of Ephesus represented the uh, early church and basically talked about the events in the first century, okay, from the time the church was born to 100 A.D. Well, this church represents a time period in history that I like to call the persecuted church, the persecuted church, and this is in the 100s and 200s. So two centuries that Roman emperors persecuted Christianity. So around 100 uh, on up through 299, the 100s and 200s, for 200 years. And this church represents that panoramic view of church history during that time. Interesting enough, one of the great fathers of faith, Polycarp, was martyred and he was the Bishop of Smyrna, and he was martyred around 165-166 A.D. by Marcus Aurelius, the Emperor of the Roman Empire at that time. So, as you can see, it definitely is flowing into the theory of showing this panoramic view of church history. But let's look and see how Jesus was describing himself to this church, because these aspects of his description come into play and really give us great encouragement on how to face tribulation ourselves. And for the church of Smyrna during John's day. Let's look at it. This is from the one, verse 8. I write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. Who died... And is alive now this first attribute I like to talk about it because it says that Christ he himself is saying this about himself that he is the all to end all he should be the one thing that we focus on as Christians for he is our life now this isn't just Jesus saying this in Deuteronomy uh, God was speaking through Moses. Moses was delivering some uh, sermons to the people uh, that he rescued from slavery in Egypt, the Hebrew people. And right before they uh, were led into the promised land by Joshua, he gave a series of sermons to kind of pump them up and get them ready to go on in and take the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 30, Moses is preaching, and he sums up this particular sermon in verse 19 with this. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life that you and your descendants might live. Choose to love the Lord your God and to obey him and commit yourself to him, for he is your life. You see, so when Jesus was saying he was the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, He was talking about how he really is the essence of our life. You know, people can try and hold on to their life and live it for themselves, but they will be miserable. But if you want real life, true life, the essence of life, it only comes by focusing on Jesus as your top priority because Jesus, your creator, created you to worship and follow him. He is our life. And without putting him as top uh, place in our priority system, then we're just going to have a miserable life. We'll never feel totally happy because we're not having him as the center of our thoughts and of our life. He is our life. He is the first and the last. Now the next attribute he talks about, the next way he describes himself, he is the one who died and is alive. We know that story. He died on the cross for our sins but he arose again three days later he died on the cross on friday friday saturday sunday he rose again as part of the first fruits during the celebration of the passover so that is why he is calling himself the one who has died and has now become alive again Now let's look at what Jesus says about this church. Let's look and see what he knows about this church in Smyrna. Verse nine, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they really aren't because theirs is a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid about what you're to suffer. So what does he say that he knows about them? He knows that they are suffering. And we're going to come back to this word later. He also says that he knows that they are poor. They are a poor church. They have poverty. But he says, you don't know it, but you're rich. And he finally says that he understands that they are being opposed by the enemy and the people who are opposing them or slandering them. Listen to it again. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. I know the slander of those opposing you. Now evidently there were some false Christians within the church in Smyrna and they were basically selling out to the government and turning the fellow believers their fellow believers in the church of Smyrna over to the authorities during this time of persecution. Uh, you know it's very hard to just for a government to come up and say this person must be a christian typically they have somebody on the inside that's feeding them the information and that is what led to the persecution of christians throughout the generations since the church was born people who are within the church sometimes are not really christians they're the tares in the field of wheat and we've talked about that before and sometimes the enemy uses these people to turn in the true believers. And then they too are just like Polycarp arrested and burned at the stake. So martyrdom is real and sometimes the people that turn you in are those who are pretending to be Christians but not. So we've seen how Christ has described himself to the church and we've seen that he has given the church detailed information to show that he knows exactly what the church is going through. Now let's see the message he has for the church. In verse 10, he says this, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and put you to the test. You will be persecuted for 10 days. Remain remain faithful even when facing death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, your translation may say you will have tribulation for 10 days. Uh, Look at verse 9. The New Living Translation that I'm reading from says, I know about your suffering. Your translation may also say trouble or tribulations there. The reason is those are the exact same Greek word. Uh, My translation calls it suffering and persecuted, but a lot of translations calls it tribulations. Now, this Greek word is thalipsis. Philipsis. And it literally means to squeeze, to uh, put them in uh, affliction by squeezing. And what's interesting about this word, it's in 40, over 40 times it's used in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it's either talking about being afflicted with something or going through Christian persecution. You know, At one point, he talks about how uh, his coming can be viewed Uh, when Jesus died and, and he rose again on the third day. He told the disciples how you won't see me for a little while, but you will see me shortly. And it will be like a mother who is afflicted during childbirth. You'll be in so much pain, but then you'll see me and you'll rejoice just like she rejoices at the birth of her child. And so that is one case where it's talking about being afflicted. And there's a couple others. But the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of this word is referring to not just a physical affliction, but a persecution, being afflicted by governmental persecution for being a Christian. And this word is important to know because a lot of people see that those older translations when it uses the word tribulation, And they get that confused with something else in the Bible. A time period called seven years of God's wrath. When God judges the world for seven years. And a lot of people call that the tribulation because some authors in the 60s and 70s referred to it like that. But that's really not the correct term to call that. It's not. You see... The word is specifically talking about Christian persecution, Christian persecution. And that's the way it's used throughout the New Testament. It's not talking about a seven-year period of time. If you look through the different references, even in the book of Revelation, whenever this word is used, it's talking about persecution. Even in Revelation 7, verse 14. Even in the 7, 14. Listen to this. And I said to him, Sir, you're the one who knows. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Now a lot of people take that phrase, the great tribulation, and again, they think it's referring to the seven-year period of time that God judges the earth and they equate that with the terms Great Tribulation, but that is incorrect. So I'm gonna teach you some vocabulary today. In the New Testament, whenever you see the word tribulation, it is not referring to this seven-year period of time. No, indeed, every time it's used, every time this word, "thalipsis" is used in the New Testament, is talking about some type of suffering and the vast majority of it is suffering or being afflicted through persecution for their faith. So Thalipsis is referring to Christian persecution, not that seven-year period of time where God judges the earth. So what does the pot, the Bible, call that seven-year period of time where God judges the earth? Well, the vast majority of them in the Old Testament is referred to as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is referring to a great time of peace, but also preceded by a lot of uh, distress and affliction and pain. And we'll talk about that later in a more appropriate time in our study. But that's one way the Bible refers to this seven-year period of time as being part of the day of the Lord. But another specific way of just talking about that seven-year period is in the book of Jeremiah. Listen to this. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. He will be saved out of it. A time of trouble for Jacob. He will be saved out of it. And the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scripture... In the Old Testament uses the Greek word stenos for this word. And stenos for me refers to a narrowing or a straightening. Uh, it's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. And you know, narrow is the path. So this word stenos is what the Old Testament, what the people who translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, used to describe this seven-year period. It's considered a time of Jacob's trouble. Some translations, like the New American Standard, may say the time of Jacob's distress. But most translations say the time of Jacob's trouble. Now this time of Jacob's trouble is talking about something that goes on for the nation of Israel during a seven-year period. Or what's commonly called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And that's why it says how awful that day will be. None will be like it. It is a time of trouble for Jacob. But he will be saved out of it. Or a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. So when we refer to that seven year period of time in this study, for now on I will be calling it the time of Jacob's distress. Or the time of Jacob's troubles. The seven year period of time. Do not confuse that with the word philipsis, which means persecution or tribulation of Christians being persecuted. They are not the same thing. And that is the most common mistake people make when they study the book of Revelation. They confuse Christian persecution as only happening during this seven-year period of time. But the Bible says that's not true. In fact, Jesus was telling this church that they were going to have 10 days of persecution, and we'll talk about that in a second. But obviously, they are going to go through persecution, so it had nothing to do with just this seven-year period of time called the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of Jacob's distress. So persecution has gone with Christians for 2,000 years, and we will always have to face it. We always risk it. Jesus himself said in this life you will face persecution or tribulations is the word he used. That same word, philipsis. In this life you will face tribulations or persecution, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So don't equate those two things. Christian persecution is different than the seven year period that's prophesied in the Old Testament called the time of Jacob's distress. Now, what's interesting about this time of Jacob's distress, there's another verse in Deuteronomy that refers to it. Listen to this. This is the New American Standard I'm quoting. Deuteronomy 4, verse 30. When you are in distress, and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, in other words, in the last days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. And here... The Septuagint does use the word thelipsis, But in the context, it's obviously specifically talking about a time of trouble or persecution of the Jewish people. And it's through that time, that seven-year period of Jacob's trouble, that leads them from in these last days of not believing in God, but returning to the Lord God and being saved. Now that's just a brief outline of and understanding of that word tribulation. It's kind of your vocabulary uh, assignment for today. But don't get confused by it. We'll come back to this again and again. But just remember this. When the Bible uses the word tribulation throughout the New Testament, it is not talking about that seven year period of time. It's talking about persecution that all Christians may face. Now let's go back to the Uh, church of uh, Pergamum, excuse me, the church of Smyrna, and let's see how this church faced persecution. Again, in verse 10, the message he gives to this church is don't be afraid about what you're to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and put you to the test. You'll be persecuted or go through tribulations for 10 days. Remain faithful even when facing death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, what's this ten days referring to? Well, it could be several things. We don't know exactly everything, but let's let's look at it from the three different ways of interpreting uh, the passages to the seven churches. Number one, could it be relating to a short time period uh, that a persecution just for the church of Smyrna? Absolutely, it could be just real 10 days or maybe 10 years who knows but a short time period of persecution just for the people who were receiving this letter from the apostle john when christ dictated it to him and said deliver it to them so this was probably part of the uh, persecution of trajan a roman emperor that started around the turn of the century around the year 100 or so persecuting christians and This could very well be what it was talking about. Or maybe it was talking about a series of persecutions this church would have to go to. Remember, in around 165, I told you Emperor Marcus Aurelius had uh, the Bishop of Smyrna, whose name was Polycarp, burned at the stake. And he was martyred. So yes, absolutely, it's telling the church that they have to prepare for coming persecution, specifically in their church, in their lives, that was reading that letter at the time that John wrote it. But also, this 10 days could be used as part of the panoramic viewpoint of the church history. It's interesting to note that there were about 12 Roman emperors, 12 Roman emperors that passed laws and persecuted Christianity. Twelve of them. But what's interesting, Two of them happened before this letter was written. The first one was under Emperor Nero around 64 to 68 AD. The second one was Domitian, and it happened around from 81 to the year 96. And remember, it was around 94, 95, 96 or so that the apostle John had been exiled to Patmos as part of the the persecution from Domitian. And that's when he got the vision and wrote the book of Revelation. So after this book was written, only 10 emperors throughout the next 200 years caused Christian persecution. Only 10 more emperors. And it started with Trajan. Uh, the next one was Hadrian, Antonius Pius, Marcus Aurelius, Septimus Severus, Maximin, Decius, Valerian, Maximus the Thracian, and the last one from the years around 284 to 300, the last couple of decades of the uh, 3rd century, was Diocletian. So yes, it does appear that there was 10 Roman emperors that caused persecution after the point this letter was written. So maybe, and I think it's a good possibility, that those 10 days refers to the 10 phases of persecution that the Roman Empire would give to the church in those early centuries. Now, let's look at the reward that Christ said for these believers. I mean, let's think about it. Not once did he say anything to this church about how they needed to improve, like he did with Ephesus, and like he does with several churches. He doesn't say anything to this church about, hey, you're doing wrong, you need to improve here. He doesn't. He is just warning them of upcoming persecution. Now from that we can take some uh, application and apply it to our lives. There is not any type of uh, connection between a person being persecuted, per se, and sin in their life. Just because Christians are arrested and put to death doesn't necessarily mean God is disciplining them because of sin in their life. Likely, it's the exact opposite, that they are righteous and making an impact in the world and Satan is conniving with the government and getting them put to death to try and stop their impact. We learn this same lesson in the book of Job. Job was a righteous man, yet Satan persecuted him. So don't think just because persecution comes, that means that those Christians needed to be uh, purified in some way. That's not the case. Usually it's the exact opposite. Likewise, don't think that just because you're not going through persecution means that you're all holy and all that, and God is so proud of you. Sometimes it's the worldly churches that don't get persecuted. And we'll see that when we study the next church. So let's think about this. Just because persecution is coming doesn't mean you're a sinner. And just because you're not getting persecuted doesn't necessarily mean that you're all righteous. It could be that you're worldly and Satan doesn't think you're a threat. That's why he doesn't persecute you. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The next is, what happens when persecution comes? Well, let's look and see what he told the church in Smyrna. In verse 11. Well, let's back up a little bit in verse 10. The last part of verse 10 says, Remain faithful, even when facing death, and I will give you the crown of life. So one thing that happens to a believer, one reward they have if they face martyrdom, if they face persecution and they endure it, And patiently endure it and never lose their faith, they will receive the crown of life. But verse 11 goes a little bit further. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And you saw this pattern in the book of Ephesus, and the message to the church of Ephesus. And what he's fixing to do is give you the reward for those who are victorious. So, anyone who is willing, to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. Whoever is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. So what is the second death? Well, I think that's pretty clear, and we'll see it later on, illustrated in the book of Revelation clearly. But all of us are flesh and blood, and if the Lord tarries, we'll die. I mean, let's face it, people have been dying for, you know, over 6,000 years as humans here. And, you know, one thing is just about guaranteed. If the Lord doesn't return, you're not going to get out of this life alive. You're going to die. Now, that's the first death. But for Christians, we know that is not anything serious. It's just us shedding off this mortal coil and us going to be in the presence of God forever. But the Bible talks about a second death. And that is an eternal death for all the unbelievers who do not believe in Jesus. And that is when they are cast into hell. The second death is what the Bible calls it. And we'll see that later on in the book of Revelation. The second death. But for those who are victorious, he says, you will not face the second death. There is nothing for you to worry about. You may die physically here, but you will be with Jesus and never have to face the second death. Let's look again at the way he described himself because it bears uh, emphasis here. Look again in verse 8. This is the message from the one who's the first and the last and who died and is alive. See, we don't have to worry about the second death because he faced death for us and he arose again. And now all who believe in him will live forever just like he does and we won't have to worry about that second death. Now many of you may be asking, well, Todd... What about us in America? We know know that Christians have been persecuted throughout the last 2,000 years, and we know there's Christians, brothers and sisters, that were persecuted in China and in a lot of the Muslim governments and in various places throughout the history of the world. Christians have been persecuted and killed. I mean, just uh, in the last, what, five years, a lot of Christians in Ethiopia were slaughtered. So we know that happens. But what about America, Todd, you ask? What about America? Will we as Christians have to face persecution in America? Well, that's a good question. Let me answer it with this and ask you a question back. Is there anything in American Christianity that gives us reason not to think we'll face persecution? If other brothers and sisters face it, why do we think we're so holy that we won't have to? Yes, brothers and sisters, and I hope we never see it, but we may face persecution, face persecution one day. I mean, let's face it, for the, our entire history of the American government, we really haven't faced it, you know, for uh, about 250 years now, uh, since Independence Day of 1776, and we started rebelling against England, and became a free nation and from the time that our constitution was formed in the 1780s and enacted we have had the bill of rights that has guaranteed our religious freedom and so we have been blessed and we know that we haven't had to face persecution like other Christians have for two over 250 something years we haven't had to face persecution from the government like a lot of our brothers and sisters have throughout the world. But that could change. How many of y'all have seen the reports of the rioters in Portland burning books and the Bible? Burning Bibles as as, as part of their protests. How many of y'all have heard some of the leaders of these protests saying, now that we have taken down all these statues, let's take down the statues of Christianity? And burn the churches of the white religion Christianity. Yes, there's a lot of people out there who are misguided. And they don't understand that Christianity is not a a religion just for white people. The Bible clearly says that racism is a sin. And the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor uh, man or woman anymore in Christ. And we could add on to it neither black nor white neither asian or american or african it doesn't matter what the race is jesus said he died for all humanity and he makes us all one so yes racism is wrong it is a sin and christianity is not about that it never has been but yet there's some misguided people who are in the limelight right now and getting all the press and they're burning bibles and saying let's go after the churches Could we face persecution in america today absolutely absolutely but how do we stand up against it well number one i think the best thing to do is to realize that it is a possibility don't hide your head in the sand don't be an ostrich and hide your head in the sand make sure you know that you could face it realize that just because we're americans doesn't give us a guarantee of facing, you know, never facing persecution. All our brothers and sisters have faced it. We may too. So resolve within your heart that no matter what happens, if you do face it, you're going to stay faithful. Because if you stay faithful, like he says, you'll receive the crown of life. But the next thing is to listen to what he says about himself. He says, I am the first and the last. I was dead, and now I'm alive. We as Christians in America need to return to the point where we realize that Jesus is our first and last. Right now, Christians in America do not think Christ is the center of their life. We let our careers, we let our social life, we let our wealth be the center of our life. But Jesus Oh, he's not our first priority. Many times, he's not our second, third, fourth, or fifth priority. There's no way most Christians in America can honest, honestly say that Jesus is their first and last, the Alpha and Omega of their lives. And That needs to change. If you want to be ready for persecution, if it comes in America, then you need to make Christ the center of your life now. He needs to become your first and your last. He needs to be the focus of your life. And the second thing to remember is like that. He said he died and is alive. And then he said at the end of this message to the church that those who are victorious will not be hurt by the second death. So not only do you need to make Christ the center of your life, the first and the last, but you need to realize that this life doesn't matter in the light of eternity. They may beat you, but Christ will comfort you. They may kill you, but Christ rose again. And he says, you will too, and you'll never face the second death. You have eternal life because he is your life, just like we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So resolve now in your hearts to face persecution if it comes to face it with a strong faith to face it with a faith that endures and never quit believing but hold tightly to your faith and hold it firmly because if you do you will receive the crown of life and you'll be victorious and you will never have to face the second death and remember jesus is what's important Not our careers, not our wealth, not our hobbies, not anything that we like to put up as an idol above him, no. The only thing that really counts is Jesus and us serving him faithfully. And if you commit to that now, you'll have that resolve that will carry you through the persecution if it happens to you. And I pray it doesn't. But I do think Christians in America better pony up, we better grow up, we better mature, we better make Christ the first and last in our lives, and we better get ready just in case. Because if it comes, we don't want to fall away. We want to stay faithful to the end. And I hope these words will encourage you. Jesus, the author and finisher of creation, the author and finisher of our faith, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who overcame death, is our King and our Lord. And I guarantee you, if persecution comes, He will lead you through it, and He will walk with you day by day as you persevere and that is something to be encouraged about and that is why the church of Smyrna was able to face the persecution they went to and that is how we can face it also so until next time keep your eyes to the sky and
0: read your bible Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.